one of the things I would say to young guys is a concern to me would be going too long in life without a crisis, without disruption, without feeling like you're on the brink. I think those seasons, those moments, those crises, those disruptions are so essential to our growth with God, and we're so committed to avoid them. If it's working and we're avoiding deep and profound disruption and serious issues in our life that we need to deal with, if we're missing out on that, I don't know that we're moving well in a good direction. Welcome to Become Good Soil. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder, a podcast for men choosing a decade of excavation. It was almost a decade ago that out of some pain in my life, I found myself going to men that I trusted, men I respected, and men who had a lot more miles on the odometer than me. And Craig McConnell was one of those men. Sat down with him after I posed a question to him of what is your advice for a man in his 30s in that season of young marriage, young kids, young career? What would you have to say as a man who's taken the ancient path? And so now, almost a decade later, I've asked Craig to come into the studio so we could remember that conversation together, tell some stories, and I could lean into his advice even more. I think you're going to like this. Well, buddy, this is awesome. I was praying before we came in here and just thinking about seven years ago, we sat outside the outpost in folding chairs with cigars, and uh, I asked you your counsel to a young man turning 30 that was backwards and trying to figure out how to walk with God. And Craig, as I was praying before this, I was just overwhelmed with gratitude that seven years later, we get to sit together again. We're here and we're living. God's done so much and we're still walking together. We're still walking with God. It's beautiful to think how many miles have transpired. And at the same time, to me, it feels like yesterday. Mm -hmm. So thanks for joining me. That conversation was huge as it shaped the last seven years. And as I've reflected on it, I wanted to hear more of your heart to a younger man from a man that's taken the ancient path, like Jeremiah talks about. You know, he instructs us as young men to follow the ancient path, to look for the signpost that will lead us to life that older men have traveled. And you've traveled a lot more miles, a lot more miles than me. And I want to learn from your wisdom. I want to learn from your walk with God. And I know so many other men could benefit from that. So this is a chance to just turn on the mic in what would be our typical conversation and capture some of these stories. So for context, to start us off, maybe some of these guys haven't traveled with you as much as I have. So I'd love for you to give some context and even maybe some of your story of leading up to today, kind of the external world you live in, but how you got there so that then we can dive into the deeper waters from that place. But so people can know you. Yeah, Morgan, it is good to be with you and. It feels like more than seven years ago, although I was surprised, and I know we'll get to this, but I was surprised looking over the advice I gave you. It's pretty solid. 
I'd stand by it. That's awesome. Whether it's worked or not, I stand by it. Yeah, it's a different conversation. <laughs> My uh, current external story is um, been at Ransom Tart for eleven years, married, going on thirty-eight years. Have two children, two daughters, and grandchildren, and I'm sixty-one. Backing up a little, was a pastor in a couple of uh, large churches in Los Angeles, where I'm from, and raised my family, but pastored for close to just under 30 years. Love my family. I love what I'm doing. I mean, that's the the quick and current external story. Mm. And Craig, in that external story, what would you say you're enjoying most these days? Rebuilding my basement, reading, going deeper with Lori, working through some of the shit that is my internal world. That's pretty close to what I'm enjoying. That's a good list. So I'd love to rewind the clock with you, go back to the 30s, or whatever years for you represented that season of life that's very distinct, where... You go from being young and free and wild to um, your life matters to other people. You know, Lori comes along and then Lindsay and Megan, these two little girls, and you're starting your career as a pastor. I'd love to go back to that season and hear a bit about externally, what did that look like? And then internally, you know, there's always two stories going on. Mm -hmm. One is the one we see, and the other is the life of our heart as a man. So rewind the clock with me and give me a snapshot of what the 30s or that decade was for you. Yeah, it was a long time ago. The 30s, I had uh, come to Christ, finished my college work, and then seminary, and was a young pastor in a church, and I had put enough years in as uh, kind of going up the ministry ladder that I'd proven myself successful in some form of uh, ministry. And so mid-30s, I was launched into a um, megachurch setting, number three guy on the O-chart, and was excited about change in the world. I'd gone through some pain and suffering, counseling, felt pretty good about my marriage, didn't have a clue on my girls. But, hey, they were behaving well and mm. were still young enough that I looked good. They, co- <laughs> they covered me. And I think, Morgan, in my 30s, I think this is typical. I had some insight. My life had been changed with God and my understanding of him, and I was ready to change the world. Mm -hmm. And what's cool about a job change for me, I went from being college pastor into this mega church where I was over a bunch of staff and so on and so forth. And what's cool about a job change was it gives you the margin and the freedom to be the guy you've kind of developed in to, but you can't fully express because 
whatever job you were from, they kind of put boundaries and limits. And, mm-hmm. and so it was a, my mid-30s, I took on this role as in this new, ever-increasing responsibility. And I was so sure of myself and what I had to offer and my insight. I just remember I could go to a committee meeting on uh, the Music and Worship Committee, and I had insight that would change their lives if they listened. <laughs> it's beautiful. And if they listened, this committee could go yes. for three years just wrestling with the profound insight I had. You had it. And so how'd that go? Well, for years, it went great. I was the insightful, deep, vulnerable, true guy who loved God. So I, you know, I kind of had this circle in the megachurch mm-hmm. that loved me, mm-hmm. followed me, listened to me, took my classes, and I was living with a lot of steam, a lot of validation, a lot of encouragement. You know, just figured it wouldn't be long before I was head guy of some megachurch and bringing the kingdom. Right, right. In ways that no one else had yet. Oh, you bet. I'm assuming that storyline just continued to 61 and you make a church pastor, senior pastor. What do you mean continued to Or 60? not. I'm saying, so what happened then? Oh, what Did happened? Did that work continuously for the last 30 years? Yeah, look at me now. <laughs> Overweight, just tired, yeah. run down, ragged. Full of life. Yeah. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, yeah. No, that didn't work. I think, looking back, Morgan... God brought a few immovable objects to disrupt my world and my life, to alter my hopes and plans dramatically. So I bumped up against some immovable objects, Mm -hmm. and those immovable objects were a a world of being a megachurch pastor that I began to, there was nothing about that was attractive, Mm -hmm. was full of bullshit and just professional tips, techniques. So the world I was kind of being groomed for and was kind of on the fast track to be successful at and wanted began to turn ugly Mm -hmm. for me. I began to see things I hadn't seen, experience things I hadn't seen or experienced. And then in addition to that, I was working under a new senior pastor who had some incredible deficiencies that my uh, fight went from changing the world to Mm -hmm. kind of preserving my heart and Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. and fighting for the heart and lives of the staff I was over. So all of that kind of disrupted and uh, redirected my path away from being the kind of successful, notable church pastor to something very different. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Craig, what would you describe as the tension during that time? I mean, you're describing these dreams and hopes and desires and then these roadblocks that made it impossible Mm -hmm. to become what it seemed like you probably would have said your heart's desire was at Mm -hmm. the time and what maybe you really could say you thought God's plan was for your life as a young Mm world-changing man can you describe the tension using today's wisdom looking back where, you know, you may not have been able to put words to it then, but would tension be a, a fair word? Oh, yeah. You know, at the time, the way I interpreted was this is immoral, 
deeply flawed man mm-hmm. that I was under, and I was the more noble warrior mm-hmm. on the true path of godliness, pursuing God, righteousness, and I was fighting for that, for yes. the health and life of the church, and for for its mark on this world, and for the staff that I oversaw, kind of fighting for their hearts and lives. Looking back, I think it was a divine rescue. I was thwarted in what I'd hoped and dreamed for, and I think in some ways that was some of the best moments of my life, some of my strongest, wounded and scarred from them. But I think God was so in it to rescue me out of something that inevitably I would have, who knows where it would Mm -hmm. have gone. Mm -hmm. But at the time, the tensions were, I'm on God's side, and this thing's going in an entirely different direction. I'm the righteous man. And so much of the story was about me versus What's God doing here? Yes. I couldn't see it at the time. I didn't know it. I just felt like my plans were being thwarted. Yes. My life's being ruined, mm-hmm. redirected. Where are you in this, God? My ability to interpret it clearly didn't come for, you know, for years later. Mm. Mm. Craig, as you look back on that decade, what would you say God was mostly up to? And then to what degree were you participating with that? Yeah. Looking back, Morgan, I'd say there's probably progressive stages in our development as men Mm -hmm. and coming to know the Father and him initiating and validating me that we inevitably go through. And that for me, the 30s was me going full guns in what I thought was strength and glory and significant maturity for my age and just running out of steam, being exhausted, just coming to the end of a season where I thought I had a whole lot more control, vision, and kind of destiny than I really did. The end of my 30s was kind of collapse, (laughs) coming to the end of myself and finding my much deeper need for a new way of living and a new relationship with God. Yes. Well, I mean, what you're describing, I mean, I think while it's painful, something we're discovering is so universal to so many men. You know, there's a verse that says there's a way that seems right to man, and yet in the end it leads to death. And I think that verse is so humbling because God's speaking to us as people who walk with him, saying, I know that you think, you really, really, really think that this is right. Right. And son, this will lead to death. Right. And there's something that's interesting, Craig, you use the word exhausting because, Uh boy, isn't that the pattern of so many men in their 30s? They throw their best energy into what seems like God, what seems like they're calling, what seems like running after world changing, but in the end... So much of it is about them and what that exhaustion comes from is perpetuating the life of a man who has yet to wrestle with the deep matters of his heart, who's yet to become whole and holy and engage God in the deeper work of maturation, the deeper work of growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man that 
we exhaust ourselves because the false self becomes less and less efficient to produce mm -hmm. life. And so you get to the end of the 30s and you think you chase the dream and you chase God, but you're left with some real questionable conclusions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a way around that? I don't know. And what I mean by that is I have some hunches from sitting at the feet of so many older men, and still I find myself in that struggle of exhaustion out of throwing energy into what seems like the noble fight. Mm -hmm. But I guess I want to maybe put that question back to you. What do you think? If you could relive it again, if you could go back to those same circumstances, believing that God actually had you in that place as the two or three number man in these desires to change the world, how would you have lived a different way knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if there's any way around that. I think having a great father who fathered us as we were intended and meant to be can make those realizations in that decade a lot different. But who had that father? Right. And in terms of looking back, Morgan, I don't think my knowledge base or my worldview has changed significantly since those days. I think I had a good handle on wisdom from God's Word, understanding the human heart, God's heart, life problems, growth. I think I had a good grasp on kind of a head approach and knowledge of God and, and Scripture and all of that. It just seems like there's there's some inevitable process where you've got to go through and live and just though you know better, you get disrupted and confronted mm -hmm. with God in a way that all that I think and believe has to become real. That verse, you know, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. So what do you do with that? I mean, until you hit something that feels like death, you know, until there's some personal encounter with that truth where mm -hmm. it goes deeper. I mean, there's a number of things I could say. I would have loved to put myself under a mentor who fathered me in finances. Yes. Going back, you know, there's a whole bunch of little things I would do different. But I just think the movement of my 30s just had to happen yes. kind of the way it did. It might have gone different if I'd had a great father, you know, if I'd been a Christian earlier in life and was mentored and and schooled in the ways of God maybe more thoroughly mm -hmm. or deeply or more personally. But I think every man inevitably runs up against an immovable object mm -hmm. or deep disappointment. In fact, I think it's I think it's the beauty of growing. You know, I think one of the things I would say to young guys is a concern to me would be going too long in life without a crisis without disruption, without feeling like you're on the brink. I think those seasons, those moments, those crises, those disruptions are so essential to our growth with God, and we're so committed to avoid them. Yes. If it's working and we're avoiding deep and profound disruption and serious issues in our life that we need to deal with, if we're missing out on that, I don't 
know that we're moving well in a good direction. You know, John has often said to me this way as a mentor of don't waste your pain, where inevitably you will have pain. But it's interesting because one way to react to what you're saying is, well, hey, a crisis is a crisis. You know, you can't plan for or predict an earthquake. But at the same time, I hear you saying we're masters at avoiding the crisis. And so I hear you saying were we to pause and be honest about the tension, about what's not working, you know, what indicator lights are on in the dashboard that the father out of his kindness is saying, son, I want you to attend to this because it may look like a little problem now, but little problems now lead to major problems later with much larger consequences. But I mean, I hear you saying, no, son, crisis will come. So it's inevitable. Therefore, today's your opportunity to not waste your pain and face really the battle that's at hand so that you can walk through it and become more whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say that that would be one of the primary areas in the arena of motive for you of contrasting how you handled your 30s compared to how you would live them now with today's wisdom? The idea of I know crisis is coming and therefore I'm going to seize the opportunity to do the hard work instead of look for shortcuts or the easy way out. Yeah. What I've come to learn about myself more is I've lived pretty checked out. So I have functioned and most of the 30s did function with an amazing ability to come across as warm, sincere, genuine, pastoral gregarious, Mm -hmm. yada, 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 a lot of things that worked for me, that got me success, that pushed me along. But a whole lot of the 30s was me checked out, just going through the motions, being checked out. Yes. I didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear some of the realities that were present in my life and to accurately interpret or see them as I need to address. I mean, Unless it got in the way, it was ignored, avoided, or unseen. Now, take me back in there, though. You're back in your 30s, and like you said, you had the ability to look engaged, but the reality is you were pretty checked out. Mm -hmm. Looking back, Craig, having known what you know now, let's say there's a man listening to this that's in his 30s, has that same temperament and Mm -hmm. tendency in his false self. Were there indicators at the time that, Had you seized God's invitation, you could have avoided a lot of pain and a lot of obstacles by really owning that piece of your story. Yeah, that's the tough thing, Maureen. I don't know until I was confronted directly with that. Yes. That, you know, ever being called on it. Yes. Confronted with it. Yes. I mean, life was working. I'm smoking. I'm moving along. And it wasn't until later that I directly got confronted and was in a season in life where it was unavoidable. And I begin to say, gosh, I've been living my life, you know, pretty successfully checked out. Yes. Yes. Craig, in light of that, what other counsel would you offer to a younger man that has a similar heart for God and his kingdom and his wrestling you know, trying to navigate this culture, what are some thoughts that you might offer that might help him shape the things that he is able to shape 
while understanding there's no substitute for miles. Yeah. The one thing, Morgan, for me is relationships. How we relate to people tells us everything about our relationship with God, the state of our spirit and soul. And throughout my life, that's been addressed and touched on, but it's taken the accumulation of decades before kind of all the dots, I was able to connect mm -hmm. all the dots. But what I would say to a young man is, you know, a 360 view of how you relate to those under you, mm. over you, mm -hmm. next to you, the feedback you get from your relational style, how you relate, how you come across, how you're perceived is the most vital, accurate, and true kind of reflection of what's going on in your mm -hmm. heart, soul, and life. And if you can either garner that input from those around you, if you can garner that input, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, how you relate, your relational style, the weight of your life, and how you affect people, that will give you the data, the insight you need on what to deal with, where you need fathering, that will expose you. So as I look back, you know, went through counseling, had some marital issues, was aware of issues with parenting, those would be the portals through which God could call out and confront me on being uh, kind of checked out. And those would have been the opportunities for me to change or turn things around. But it wasn't clear to me then how deep it, mm -hmm. uh, systemic, you know, the issue was till later. Yes. But what I'd say to a young guy, if this makes sense, is the relational feedback you can get on your life is the most important thing in your walk with God. Mm. I want to dig a little deeper because you had said to me earlier that I've hung on for years now that actually – if there's any measure of spiritual maturity in a person, it's best measured by how we relate. And so of everything you just said in that comment, Craig, what I clued in on it was a 360-degree assessment of your relational style. And so putting a couple pieces together, you've been really forthright with we don't see our lives very accurately. And so while we have the best of intentions, the man we perceive ourselves to be is often very different than who we are. So – Will you unpack that for me a little bit? I'm in. You have my attention. I want a 360-degree assessment of how I relate to people. Dive in practically with me. How do I do that? Well, one is ask. Ask those around you. Ask men that you can trust and make it easy mm -hmm. as possible for them to share with yes. you by saying, Charlie, I need, and this is a humble posture, I need eyes that see things I don't. I am a man who I long to grow. Here's how I see myself strengths. Mm -hmm. Here's how I see myself weaknesses mm -hmm. relationally. Can you give me some feedback on that? Do you see the same thing from your experience of me? I mean, that's kind of a formal conversation, 
but informally it's on your hunting or your fishing trip or playing cards or having dinner some night. Just pick up on how do people seem to respond to you. And if you get the chance, ask them. Mm -hmm. An introspective thing to ask yourself is like, how do you feel and how do you relate around a checker at the market, Mm -hmm. a waiter, Mm -hmm. those under you? You know, would a transaction at a cash register and drugstore, would that cash register person and that clerk say words like, that was different. He was warm. Mm -hmm. He was friendly. He was present. Now, you can't live under the weight of being on for every single person in the world. But the question would be, how do people experience you? And beyond your little circle, do you get compliments? Do you get feedback? Do you get, you know, what's coming your direction? But I think the primary thing would be to ask people who do know you. Ask your wife, sit down, honey, how am I as a husband? With your kids at an appropriate age, just try and make it easy for people to say, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Here's what I say. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to affirm this, but you kind of checked out. You're kind of, you're kind of distanced. Here at work, I'm getting feedback constantly from the gals here. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember one of them just uh, two years ago, said to me, how come you never look me in the eye when you're offering me some suggestions for growth? It's like you're not talking to me. Mm. And I just thought, wow, that's insightful. Interesting. I'm not, you know, being present and Mm -hmm. strong and looking them directly. So people's feedback and then just before God asking him, do I love my enemies? Mm. What's the internal reality when... Lori says, let's go over to the Jeffersons for dinner. <sighs> what is that sigh about? Monitoring yourself at social gatherings, at parties with people. I'd much rather be with that guy across the room. I hate this. Is your whole internal world just wanting to get out of this? I mean, learn to be, you know, somewhat self reflective. Listen to your reactions to people or being with them. I mean, I think those are important. Well, I think as I listen to you, Craig, one of the things I'm aware is you're calling us to a higher level of self-awareness. And ironically, because of the guy who you're saying struggles with being checked out, I mean, I think what you're saying is as you've grown, you've learned that self-awareness is critical in any situation to be aware of your own heart, to be aware of the hearts of those around you and aware of what God's after. And, And I think by way of confession, Boy, so much of what you're saying for me just gets missed in the hurriedness, just gets missed in all these excuses to make agreements with a pace of a world around me that's faster than the pace of my soul. And so simply neglecting the inner life in all sorts of motives and names, but at the end of the day, it's neglecting to just maintain a pace that's exhausting. So I appreciate some of the comments. It's causing me to have to slow down and ponder. And that's very disruptive to a young king in training that wants to change the world and storm the battlefield. You're saying, whoa, tiger, slow down. And that's messy. That's messy. And I want to say grace, grace, and more grace to you, Morgan, and to those like you. 
I really think, as I said, progressive stages, they're just inevitable. And you're not the lover in the 30s of others that you're going to be in the 40s and 50s or 60s. There is no shortcut. You have to exhaust yourself and bump up against things and wear yourself out. And, And there's a sense in which that's, yeah, that's the way it happens. That's the way it is. So it's like you're going to be a much better lover in 10 years than you are now. Mm. More patient, kind, yes. slower pace. And sure, do everything you can to facilitate that change, Yes, whatever that means. But there's just a grace, hopefully, that older men give younger men that says, it's okay, guy, you mm-hmm. know. You're on the right path. Yes. You'll get there. Yeah. You can't get there at 30. Yes. You won't get there at 30. Yeah. And as you say that, Craig, the idea comes to mind is sometimes you get that grace from older men, but often you don't because often the older men above you have young places in them that are actually just demanding for you to come through for them. And so your lack of maturity or your desire to do the hard work of growing and not just building a better mousetrap for them can actually be quite disruptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you're describing a path that's not necessarily the most validating in the short term, but it leads to the most abundant life possible over decades. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Morgan, I'm just like one of those older guys you're describing. I mean, those times where that young guy in me is out, you experience it, others experience. I mean, I know that. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm still not at 61, the lover I'm going to be at 81. You know, I kid Lori. I've told her for decades now. And it's cynical. And it's so true that she is going to be loved by me when I'm probably 83 for one day, she was intended to be loved by a man as a woman with such unbelievable grace and acceptance and warmth and passion. And then I'm going to die. She's going to have <laughs> one day where I'm the mature guy. But it's like somewhere along the line, I've just caught on that, yeah, I mean, this thing is progressive. It's ongoing. Right. I am not the guy I'm talking about yes. fully. yes. Not yet. Well, I mean, in some ways you're alluding to something that's so hard for us to think of in our culture. But, you know, Dallas Willard talks so much about all of life is becoming. You know, he talks about one of the most life-shaping quotes for me is when Dallas says, the most important thing about a man is not what he does, but it's who he becomes. And so the question is, who are you becoming today? And I remember this great story of Billy Graham's wife. She was going through this construction site and all these detours and frustrated. And finally, she gets to the end of this construction site. And there's a sign and it says, end of construction. And thank you for your patience. Years later, she passed away. And that's what she had put on her tombstone. End Mm. of construction. Thank you for your patience. I remember the first time I read that story, I just teared up. I mean, just even as I do now, because so much of life feels like, 
oh, just more and more under construction. It's like the Pennsylvania Turnpike growing up. It was never complete. There's always another section under construction. And yet that's the point. What if, I mean, I guess I want to present that as a question, a statement is what if all of life is centered around us becoming and it's all preparation? You know, like Peterson says that heaven is the consummation of our earthly discipleship. All of this is preparation for our role in the kingdom to come. And if I begin to believe that, and as I begin to believe that a little bit more each year, I treat my heart more kindly, mm-hmm. and it gives me more hope for myself and those around me. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Maureen. I mean, just in your tears in this moment, just thinking about that, are those tears of hope and joy? Are those tears of kind of pain and loss and just, oh, there's so much work to be done? It's both, but mostly pain. Mm-hmm. I would say it's both because I'm longing for kingdom come more than before. Mm-hmm. Seven years ago, it wasn't even an operational category, and now it's a daily prayer. Jesus, come back today. Mm-hmm. But I think it's mostly out of pain, Craig. I realize much of what you're saying, that the way I relate to people causes harm. I um, just had lunch date with Sherry to try to work out a hard conversation that did not go well last night. It just leaves me with sadness because she's the one I want to love more than anyone else. Right. Think about tensions with those under me and those above me and wish it were not the case. And I just feel that pain of when will this ever be better? So I think it's both. But I would say that the category of hope, the tears that say, no, the day will come where we are no longer under construction and we will get to express our gratitude for everyone's patience around us, that'll come. It's coming and it'll be a good day. Mm -hmm. And my guess, Morgan, is that hope will grow deeper roots and just be more and more a profound reality for you Mm -hmm. as it is for me that, yeah, and that takes so much of the energy and pressure to perform and get it all right here and now off. Yes. Yeah. Enormously. Yeah. And that's why Churchill, why uh, why run when you can walk is so profound. I mean, there's no need to run. Right. If you're Churchill, <laughs> the master of conservation of energy. <laughs> Craig, I'd put in front of you a piece of paper that is your counsel to me Isn't it seven good? years ago. I mean, gosh. Yeah, take a look at that. Take, read, cop- it, read it before you say how good it is. No, I have. I've read it. I'm going, whoa. I wish I was this man. <laughs> I think I regress. Oh, buddy, buddy. I would love for you to read this out loud. Uh-huh. This was your counsel to me seven years ago. And then I would love for you to react to it. Love to. So these are words from, a at the time, a 53-year-old Los Angelino. Notice the, the accent That's really there. good accent, Craig. Yeah, well, it's, Clearly well-practiced. Yes, yes. To a 30-year-old man from Pittsburgh. And my counsel then, and it all stands today, would be uh, first, love the Lord your God and love others. And appropriately, number one, there's no greater 
guideline and command, and that is Christian life simplified to its purest form is simply to love God, love others, period, end of story. Then I have know his heart and know your own heart. It's just huge to know the fathering good heart of God and then to know what's true of your heart, that it is good and that the deepest and truest things about you are good, godly, rooted in him, in his unique and beautiful design of you. You must know both hearts. And and I actually think that to the degree we know our own heart, we know God's. I don't think you can know God's heart without knowing that your own is good and deep and profoundly true. I put down Addiction and Grace, and that was both a reference to a book by Gerald May and also to a reality that I do believe that throughout this life we're both we're addicts because it's a side of heaven. We find substitutes for God and things we lean into other than him. And that's forever and always true of us in a fallen, broken world. And yet there's a tremendous beyond understanding grace God gives and extends to us and over us in this season of our brokenness and fallenness still having a reality in our lives. I put down, remember the mythic nature of life, but don't take yourself too serious. I mean, it's just, there's lots of deep and profound realities in life and that we embrace and we can become kind of caught up and in view ourselves as bigger and more epic than we actually are. Just don't take yourself too serious. That speaks of humility. That speaks of I'm learning. How I interpret life in 10 years will be different than how I view it now. And everything that I think is right, profound, and passionate, and true can alter so quickly. I put down read history. I mean, in short, that's simply saying that you can learn from the stories of others. And I think there's a story in life and in history through great men and and great evil that we can learn from and reading about Roosevelt or Churchill or anyone there's probably lessons to be learned that come through um, the study and the story of another man that that speak to you and I think it's a cheap quick easy way to learn a lot about yourself and maybe what God has made you and the time you live in and to see that there's really nothing new under the sun, that every problem we're facing now as a culture, civilization, or country, or individual has uh, come before you, and, and you can glean incredible insight, understanding, and, and deep, profound kind of sense of perspective by reading history. I put down live with conviction which is true, and then I add uh, knowing that most of what you believe now will change later, and it's it's just true. I would have crucified other people 20 years ago, 30 years ago in my 30s that now I would embrace as beloved brothers and mm. friends. How I see 
what I view as important and essential and crucial to living and life and to the faith has been reduced to just a few things. Hmm. Next thing I put is desire and rejoice for heaven. I think if we were truly present and clearly understood life here and now, we would spend most of our time just hoping and rejoicing for heaven and realizing that so much of what we yearn for is found there, which gives us the energy here and now to proceed despite great disappointment and imperfections. I put down live knowing that you may lose everything precious to you. It's just true that the guarantees that God has made for life don't include uh, perfect health, perfect family, and everything being pleasant and wonderful. And as a pastor and then just as a person, I've been close to people who've lost everything, absolutely everything. It happens, and there's something in knowing that that we're frightened of when we don't like to think about and we don't like where it takes us, but it's absolutely essential to grapple with our mortality and how fragile everything is because it absolutely drives you to God in a deep and profound and necessary way. I put laugh, <laughs> hmm. which uh, if you don't do, you're dead. You're just dead. And I put cry, uh, which inevitably have to do. We simply are living in a world that is full of laughter and gives us much opportunity just to cry. I mean, just look around and you can do both in within five minutes. I put down, be your own man. I mean, come forward, stand, offer what you have. Let people feel the weight of your life. And then I put, walk humbly. You are not the Christ, and you are flawed and broken, and all that you are will change for the better. Realize that. Put down, offer your strength. I mean, bring it. Be confident. Be strong. Just bring it. And then I put, let the Lord exalt you. It's impossible to be exalting yourself in this world but if you can disengage from that and have moments where you let the Lord exalt you, where you take the back seat, where you, you're you not fighting for your own legacy and your own validation, but you're trusting fully in God is ultimately the posture of heart that we need. And then I put down, uh, half-jokingly, uh, wear sunscreen. And the point there is there's just such practical things that have consequences. I mean, save money. Mm -hmm. wear sunscreen, mm -hmm. spend time with your kids, whether it's quality or not. I mean, there's just inevitable consequences to wisdom in living well. Mm -hmm. um, so those were my, those were my words of advice to you seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> What's the laughter and where does your heart go with that? Well, I wouldn't change one of these. I might add one or two, but not many. Hmm. So it's good stuff. I'll stand by it. You know, these would be my words. Another man would put them differently and have some things that I haven't learned or captured or seen, but I like those. Craig, it says a lot about who you are to be fully candid that seven years would go by and it, 
it wasn't the latest greatest. It wasn't the tips and techniques. But these are, you know, kingdom tried and true signposts of an ancient road Mm -hmm. and that you can smile and laugh and think of the hell that you have faced in these seven years and your battles with near-death experiences for you and for your bride and Mm. for your grandson and to battle cancer, to think of what you've been through, so much of it unnamed, and to think that you can still laugh and that this counsel still holds true says a lot about the words you've just shared. Yeah. Well, I want to laugh and cry. Yeah, yeah, you're doing both. <laughs> and I, I think it, I think it's damn good, but I don't want to take myself too seriously. That's right. You better not. You better not. You're offering your strength, but let the Lord exalt you, right? Yeah. Well, I think he may be right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see some glow around your chair, actually. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that was just that's my son's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, Greg, pitfalls. What would you say to a young man if you had to just name? one or more pitfalls that are the ways that seem right to a man and in the end lead to death in this decade. If you are speaking to a Padawan, speaking to a grandson to help point that out of a few signposts that we may say, no, I'm not sure. But you say, if you have ears to hear, here are some pitfalls. Yeah. I think one would be um, not recognizing the forces at work set intent to destroy you. I don't think the battle we live in, the war we live in, was as real to me in the 30s as it is now because the time has given given me the opportunity to see men who in their 30s with me were really, really good men, mm-hmm. and they're lost. Mm. They're lost. They've abandoned God, their wives, their family. So there's the significance of the world we live in and its toxicity and its violent nature and its the direction of it is to destroy you and your life. That would be a pitfall to underestimate. Mm -hmm. You know, another would be simply... You have an internal world, whether you're in touch with it or not, and it's it can be dark or it can be very discouraging to take a look on the inside, but you cannot avoid that. Mm-hmm. To avoid that would be a pitfall. I think a pitfall would be to look somewhere other than to God for your measure for success is your fixed point of how am I doing in life. I so admire men who have a sense of confidence that they're living their life well in this stage, not because of the validation of man or their achievements, but from God. There's something about, and I'm thinking of one right now, this man is so freaking comfortable with who he is and how he's living. I long for that in my own life. Mm. But what's your fixed point for measuring your success and how you're doing I think a pitfall would be to pick a wrong fixed point, you know, let your world or your peers or your boss or or something artificial or not eternal become that. To pitfall would be to miss that love's the supreme command. Um, Mm. As I've said earlier, that that's all that matters. Yeah. 
And okay, here we go. You guys are just trying so hard to figure it out. And I am grace and love and understanding. That's what you do in your 30s. I mean, it's just inevitable. You're going to come to a point where you chill a whole lot more mm. and relax mm. and things find perspective. And I just want to say that day's coming. Yes. I can't serve it up to you. Yes. You'll get there. It's coming. <laughs> it's like grace, grace, grace. Yes. Yes. You're a good man. Stay on the path. Get the podcast. Do the work. Study. You know, being the small group, all those things are wisdom, true, helpful. But there's inevitably what you long for is a work of God that you cannot manipulate, manage, or you can't mm -hmm. set a timeline for. And yet it's coming. It is coming. It's coming. It's inevitable. It is inevitable. And for an older man to speak to a young man and say, you know, you are a good man. You're going to get there. It's 10 years. It's 20. It's 40 years off. You'll get there. Yes. I mean, just so much pressure released. Yes. Yeah, there is. I mean, Craig, to be candid, there's an ease that comes when you say that. There's some burden lifting because it's what we hope for in our heart. And it's a rare and yet very true circle of older men that that's what I feel around them is oh, just the permission to exhale. It's very comforting. And I feel like even in walking in the council of older men for seven years, I've felt a shift, truly. Not enormous, but big enough to measure mm -hmm. and believing there's more to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen that in you, Morgan. You have shifted and are shifting from this uh, driven, almost compulsively busy, active, pushing into things to much more circumspect, reflective, seeing your deep need for stepping back, having Sabbath, rest, a rhythm, health, life. You've gone through enough pain, suffering, and loss. You're aware of your internal world. You're on the right path. And you know, those annoying little quirks of yours, um, I'm confident <laughs> in another 40 years will be gone. <laughs> Why am I not deeply encouraged? Oh, my goodness. Oh my you feel goodness. like everything lift I'm again? I'm feeling the love. Yeah, I'm back to self-reproach, shame, disgust, and looking for a new mentor. <laughs> Read history. <laughs> Where's that screen? Yeah. Um, gosh, there was something on pitfalls. Yes. Can Go I for add it. one more? Please do. Um, somewhere along the line, I lost my ability to dream. And you and I, you know, we've had this conversation. One of the things I love about Bart, Bart Hansen on the team here, is his ability to dream. And he has the brochure just full of dreams and things he wants to accomplish. And in Bart's presence recently, I've realized that over the last decade, for some reason, in the midst of all the good and the bad that's been unfolding and taking place, something has been taken or lost or given up by me, and I've just lost my ability to dream. 
it happened after my 30s, but it just feels like it's a pitfall that I've found in my own life. I've fallen into a season where I just don't dream much. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not good, and I don't like it. And I'm trying to pull myself out of it or find a way out. And so I guess to a younger man, I would want to say, you know, in all the movable objects and things you bump into, you just don't want to lose desire and hope and dreams that are in this life, in this time, and for yourself. Because it just feels like it's a numbing and it's a stripping of your humanity and in your glory and your strength. So always hold on to dreams and foster them and and nurture them and don't let anyone steal them, though they may be modified and altered. Craig, this may feel vulnerable, and I understand if you don't want to go there, but it would be pretty powerful to hear about one of your dreams by way of example of something that you feel like maybe you let go for a time, but you're trying to get it back and claim it. Yeah, I think looking back, Morgan, over my life, I think I sold my soul to the latter to be a successful pastor, and I just gave up massive parts of who and what I was. I mean, there's some I've retained, but my love of uh, painting, my love of athletics... I lived up until 15 years ago, a very athletic, active life, the outdoors. You know, you've never known the person who used to, you know, backpack and go into the wilderness for three-week-at-a-time trips and fishing and the love of uh, the strategy of a baseball game and... uh, museums and art and beauty. There's been a lot of those things. I do find that now that I've seen that, now that I'm addressing it prayerfully, asking God to resurrect or recreate or restore or redeem, it's so interesting. I've found myself in just little ways. I've probably watched more baseball in the last 10 days than I have in the last... 25 years, and just enjoying the strategy behind the game. I've um, found myself in doing my basement, doing something that is so other than what my life is consumed by. I've just really enjoyed working with my hands on stuff that I'm not very good at, but I enjoy doing. So I'm in the process, and this is very fresh and new, and still vast. I'm in need of much more work of God here. But yeah, dreams, I've lost them by and large. And in losing those, a whole lot of me has been lost, not present or uh, available to those around me. So it's good. It's good. I'm glad you're dreaming again. Yeah. Dallas Willard said that the most important thing about a man is not what he does, but it's who he becomes. If you enjoyed this and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, 
join us at becomegoodsoil.com.